This first reading is the story of Naaman. He's a, a military commander. And I kind of want to jump into that a little bit more because I think when, in the story of Naaman, we see truths that, that we can all kind of relate to. In, in Naaman, we kind of see a little bit of, of each one of our own story. But in the first reading we heard at Mass, we just kind of got the very, very end of the story. So I want to backtrack a little bit and just kind of set the context of what we heard today. So Naaman was this military commander. He's this great, powerful military commander. He was known for, for his victories. He was known for his military prowess. He was very much trusted by the king. He was, he was a, a top-notch guy. Except he had this one thing. He was a leper. Which meant he was pretty much would have been, he would have been considered an outcast from society. He would have been completely severed from the community, considered unclean. It was this disease that had no cure for it, so it was pretty much this death sentence. And so I imagine if I were Naaman, this fact that I was a leper would be something that I would try as best as I can to keep a secret. Kind of keep it, keep it hidden. I don't want anyone else to know about that. I'm going to keep that hidden so that it doesn't interfere with this status I have in society. Right, and so imagining having this kind of dark spot always weighing down on you, always that I need to keep hidden, all this pressure to keep it buried away, it's draining, it's wearying, right? Until Naaman, he hears through one of his servants that there's this prophet in Israel who works all these great miracles. He heals the sick, he even raises the dead, he cures diseases. And so he thinks, maybe this guy can cure me of my leprosy. Maybe this guy can come and do something for me. He can free me from this prison that I, that I kind of find myself trapped in, from this stigma that, that's been attached to me because of this disease that I have, right? So he goes to seek out this prophet named Elisha. And he, goes, he, he arrives at Elisha's house, and he asks to see him. And what Elisha does, he sends out a servant to go and meet Naaman, the servant goes out to him and he tells him, go and wash in the Jordan River seven times and you're going to be healed. So when Naaman hears that, he actually gets angry. First of all, he says, this prophet couldn't even come out to see me himself. He sends out this servant to, to tell me what to do. Like, doesn't he know who I am? Like, why can't, why can't the prophet see me? And what Naaman wanted is he wanted the prophet to come out and to come to work this great miracle to heal him right there on the spot, right? And so when this servant comes out and tells him to go and wash in the, in the Jordan River, which, by the way, the Jordan River wasn't much of a river. It's pretty much like this dirty, you know, trickle, a lot like, almost like a ditch, um, a pretty wide ditch. It's not moving. It's dirty. It's kind of nasty. As far as rivers go, the Jordan had the reputation of being like, just kind of this dirty nothing, so he said, this prophet, he can't even come out to see me. He comes out, he sends a servant to tell me to go wash in this, this nasty river. He couldn't even at least tell me to go wash in a big flowing river. He said, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to do that. So he gets angry and he's going to leave. Now, how many times I think, well, what, what, name, what happened to Naaman is that he had these expectations of what he thought was going to happen. Right? He expected that the prophet would, would come in this way, and he expected that God would act in a certain way through the prophet. Now, how many times does that happen to us? We have this prayer, we have these expectations of how God is supposed to act. God, I have these desires, and this is how I want you to act in my life. And those expectations aren't met. 
right? Those expectations are these desires of how we think God and how we want God to act end up not getting met in, in some way or another, right? And so we get frustrated, we get angry, we quit, we stop praying, we give up on whatever we've been trying to do because it's obviously not working. These expectations that I have aren't, aren't getting met. I had a spiritual director at St. Ben's. He had this habit. I think I've mentioned it before. He had this habit of, of these little sayings that always rhymed. He was kind of known, and he had the, all these pithy sayings. And I guess it worked because he's the only guy I ever quote because he's the only guy who ever said anything that I can remember because they rhymed. Um, but he had this saying that said, expectation leads to desolation. We have expectations of how God's supposed to act, how we're supposed to act, how things are supposed to happen. We're setting ourselves up for desolation. We're setting ourselves up to be disappointed, to be angry, to be frustrated, because we're focused, that the expectation comes from a focus on how we think God is supposed to act. And what it does is it robs us of a necessary openness that we need to how the Lord desires to work in our own life as opposed to having the humility of trusting that God is going to act in the way that we most need, the way that he sees is best to act, and having the humility and the trust to allow that to happen. Having the humility to, to obey the simple commands of another as opposed to what I desire needs to happen, what I expect ought to happen. And so Naaman in that situation, he, he's angry, he says, I'm not doing that. He gets frustrated. And he has this friend, and he, I think we all need a friend like this friend that Naaman had in the scriptures. This friend comes up to Naaman and he says, look, come on, if, if this guy came up to you and he told you to go on this adventure, to go find this secret you know, plant or something, and say this magic incantation that's going to cure you of your disease, you would have done that in a heartbeat. But he's telling you to go and wash in a river that's right there and you're not going to do it? Like, what do you have to lose? Just go and wash in the river. And so, out of humility and this, this necessary openness that we, that we need, Naaman goes and washes in the river, just like the, the servant came and told him to do. He went and washed in the river, and he was cured. He was cleansed, just like the prophet said would happen. That's more than just a physical healing, though. It's more than just a, a physical cure. All these miracles that we hear about in the Scripture, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the physical dimension is the most obvious dimension, but it's also the, the least important dimension. Right? There's a spiritual dimension, a spiritual miracle, that always accompanies those physical miracles that's more important. That's the whole point of the physical miracle. It's always directed towards that spiritual healing. And that's the part where I think where we are. We're all in a sense, spiritual lepers. We're spiritually blind. We're spiritually lame. We can relate to all these, in, in, uh, these ailments on a spiritual level. And so the real miracle here is that Naaman's dark spot wasn't really the leprosy. It was the shame. It was this thing that he kept trying to keep hidden that he felt like he couldn't bring to the Lord that was cured. And because of that, he encountered God in a real way. He's able to say, now I know that there's no God in all the earth except in Israel, except this God. Now I know that this is the only God, and I'm willing to give my life totally to him. That's the real miracle of the first reading, that he's able to encounter God like that. Naaman knew that God was active and present in his life, 
And his heart was changed because of that. All because of that simple act of obedience, that simple act of faith, that simple act of openness to allow the Lord to work as he desires. And because of that, Naaman recognizes that he belongs to God. And he's only going to worship him. He's going to give his whole life to that. That's why at the end of the first reading, you know, Naaman wanted to give Elisha all these gifts. And Elisha said, no, I'm not going to accept it. And then Naaman said, okay, well then let me take two, two mule loads of dirt back with me. Because in that, con- in that culture, gods were very much tied to the land. The land was a very important thing. The people of Israel worshipped God in their land. And so Naaman wanted to take the dirt of Israel back with him. So that when he would worship at his house, he would put the dirt where he would worship, and he would only worship the God connected to that soil. He would only worship the God of Israel. He knew that no matter what, from that point on, he was giving his whole life to that, to that God. And he's going to continue to worship that God, to give his life totally to that one, because of what he had done in his life, because he recognized that encounter. It's the same kind of encounter that Jesus had with those ten lepers in the gospel. There's lots of parallels with the, with the disease of leprosy, the shame associated with that, the distancing associated with that. The simplicity of that command and the obedience, the people, Jesus said, go, show yourself to the priests. They obey, and they're cured. And honing in on that one leper who came back, that one leper who recognized what God had done in his life, he came back with gratitude. He recognized that God had worked in his life, and that he wanted to come back to Jesus. He fell down at his feet and said, Jesus, you're the only one. Like, you're the one I want to give my life to, because he, he was open enough to recognize that encounter. Despite being a foreigner, like Jesus said, he's open to, to being able to recognize that he totally belongs to the Lord. He totally belongs to God. And what does Jesus tell him? He says, your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. Remember last week, the gospel started with that, with that question, Lord, increase our faith. Lord, give us more faith. What is faith except this recognition of what God is doing and has done in our life, and this recognition that we belong to him completely and wholeheartedly, and that because of that love that he has for us, we belong to him with everything that we are. That living faith, that living faith that's a relationship of love, removes the expectations And it gives us the openness to allow God to work in our own lives and in our own heart the way that he desires. It opens ourselves to the simplicity of the invitations that he gives to us. The simple things that we're invited to do where we think like that no good can come from that. Why would I do that? That's where the miracles happen, through these simple acts of faith. And so for those dark places in our own life, for those, those diseases of leprosy, so to speak, that we're carrying... God gives us an invitation. We kind of have a a battle plan, a plan of action in the readings today. First thing Jesus says is, go, show yourselves to the priest. We can see in that, go, present present your sins to, to the priest in the sacrament of confession. Let the light pierce that darkness. The darkness doesn't have to be there. Let the light of the mercy of God come and pierce that darkness. Bring healing to that leprosy that's burdening us. Bring the freedom and the security that we are all deeply desiring. Let the Lord work 
Let his mercy come and flood that. Let the light come and shatter the darkness. And then go to the Lord continually. So to speak, take the dirt and only worship on that dirt. And and keep worshiping on that dirt. Keep worshiping on that place where you know the Lord is. Because there's no other God in all the earth except this God. Except Jesus. Except this God who dwells in this tabernacle. This God who's going to come onto this altar anew in the sacrifice of the cross. And make himself known in these realities of your own life. The Lord has this heart that's burning with love, that's burning to make himself present. There's an image in the Adoration Chapel of the Sacred Heart of Jesus that kind of sticks out with me. In the heart, it's not just like a little, a little like flame of the heart. It's like a, a, it's about to burst of how much fire is kind of trying to pour out of it. Symbolizing that love, the desire that he has to, to come in, to, shat, to scatter the darkness, to let the mercy that he longs to give make a rea- become a reality in each one of our own lives. With a love, if he loves me with a love like that, then I know that I'd, I'd be willing to do anything. That if Jesus appeared to me today with a heart like that, just showing how much he loves me, whatever he asks me to do, I do in a heartbeat. Right? Because I recognize the love that he has for me and I know the goodness that he has in store for me. Yet I struggle to keep doing the simple things that he invites me to do. It's the simple things, the simplicity of things, where real miracles happen. A lot of times without us even noticing it, but it's in that simplicity that miracles happen. The miracles that the Lord desires to keep doing in our own life. Miracles aren't just a thing of the past. The Lord desires to keep doing them again and again and again in our own life. By remaining faithful to the simple invitations that he has in store for us. And we have a faith that allows us to be open to those invitations, that saves us and reminds me whose I am so that I can continue to be faithful to the simple invitations the Lord has in store for each one of us.